He is. Amen. This morning, as we could pick up the message that I had started last week, no restraint for God, no retreat from thee. And this year, I want my desire, as God put upon my heart, as a leading for this church, is let's just focus on how can God get the glory in every area of our lives. How does God get the glory? There's an illustration here of where is your faith. The Muslim puts his faith in the Quran and Muhammad. The Buddhist puts faith in the graven images. The humanist puts faith in himself. The religious man puts faith in his works. The materialist puts faith in his wealth. But a true spiritual life of faith is only as good as its object. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. A true spiritual life of faith is only as good as its object. And if our object is the creator himself, that's a pretty good foundation. I want to talk about this this morning as we look at, again, this idea of we get a mindset of God so frequently that we think God can only work within the dimensions of my box. That God can't do above and beyond what I can think. And just because God doesn't do it the way I think, oftentimes I think God's not working. But the truth is, God is working, and Jesus would, he would chast, he would Uh, he would make a statement of rebuke. He says, I would do many more works here, but because of your unbelief, I can't do it. It is time for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, to put our faith in Him who is eternal and stop trying to live by only what I can see and live in faith and total belief. In 1 Samuel chapter 14, a situation where the Israelites uh, hear Saul, the king of all of Israel, all 12 tribes, he is up against a wall of Philistines that are against him. He and his army of 600 are there, and they're in fear. 1 Samuel chapter 14, I want to read this, again getting you the context for what is going on, uh, and then we will continue our study. Verse 1, now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bare his armor, come and let us go over into the Philistine garrisons that is on the other side. But he told not his father. Now Saul was a very fearful man. Saul lived in fear. He did not live in faith. And Saul tarried in the uppermost part at Gibeah under a pomegranate tree which is in Migron. And the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitam, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod, and the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. I mean, they have a priest with them, they have God's presence with them, and here they are cowering in fear. Verse 4, And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sina. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And this is our theme verse. 
And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. He says these people don't have God on their side. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you, and we will stand still in our place, and we'll not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, and we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hands, and this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves in the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves, and the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us. We will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, Come up after me. What does he say again? For the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. And his armor bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan, his armor bearer, made, was about 20 men within, within as it were, a half acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. Unbelievable. God takes two men. And they defeat the enemy of 20, at least. Many times, the biggest hurdle to moving forward in our spiritual life, we allow fear. It is fear, rather than faith, that keeps me from that step forward. Faith is simply trusting God when the obstacles and trials of life are larger than I can defeat or overcome. There is a worry. That if I progress down the path of faith, when I'm not in control, that I will somehow ignorantly place myself in an awful predicament. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. It gives no condition for which lack of faith is pleasing to God. None. Zero. You won't find it. Because verse 6 of Hebrews 11 goes on to say, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Christian, God wants to do much. We cannot steal his glory. We cannot take personal uh, recognition for what God does. It's God that gets the glory. God is not restrained by man. God is not restrained by the obstacles of life. We have to understand it's not my wit, it's not my knowledge, it's not my talents or anything else. It is God. And Jonathan in this passage of scripture says, listen, God's given them to us. Maybe God will work for us because God is not restrained as man is. He says God. And God got the glory out of that victory because Jonathan understood that God is in this. If God's in something, move forward. We can't sit idly by. We've got to move forward. Because the world is moving forward. The world's constantly moving. If you're not moving, you're going some direction. You're moving with the world or you're moving with God. But you're moving a direction. 
This morning as we talk about this and further this understanding of this passage of Scripture, it is an unbelievable passage of Scripture. It's exciting when we get to see, hey, you know what, I don't need to be worried about what people think as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do, that's all that matters. Because if he's praised and he's exalted and he's thanked and people get to know him, man, it changes things. The God of belief. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessing and then we'll continue our study. Dear heavenly and gracious Father, Lord, I come before you. I thank you for the fact that you've given us the abilities, and even in Sunday school as we discussed that even some kings that were not always the best, Lord, you would mention to them, I raised you up. Father, you raise us up to do the job you've called each and every one of us to do. We all have a task. We all have a purpose. We all have meaning. But the meaning that we've been given for every one of us, Lord, is to bring the glory back to you. Father, may our pride and our arrogance and ego be checked at the door, checked at the cross. And Lord, any success is because God did it. Father, I love you. Lord, I just pray that as I preach your word this morning, that you would help me to convey the truths as you've given them. I pray also, Father, for those of us who may be trying to steal anyone that may be trying to steal the glory, Father, help us to just get right. For those of us struggling or discouraged, Lord, I pray that we realize the strength lies not within, but it lies with Thee. And Lord, may we just lay it all down and walk close with Thee. Father, I yield this time to You. You get the glory. You take control. I love You. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As we looked at last week in a little bit of review, Numbers chapter 14 discusses that God is concerned for his glory. Numbers chapter 14 talks about Israel that's been whining and complaining in the desert. And uh, verse 22, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times and not hearkened my voice, they said, listen, Israel saw my glory. They saw me do things above and beyond what any man could do. I did it, and I did it for my people, and yet they turned their hearts. As I mentioned, this understanding that God wants to do things in our life, but he doesn't want us to take personal recognition. He wants us to take the recognition and direct it back to himself. Faith directs the focus upon the one to whom the focus is due, and that is himself, God. Some of the results of unbelief is, number one, as I mentioned last week in Mark 16, 14, I discussed it, that uh, after his resurrection, he was ashamed that they did not believe, they did not remember his words on the resurrection. He was ashamed of them. Sometimes we evidence unbelief and even mocking or criticism against God and those who seek to move forward for him. Ah, you're too, you have too much faith in God. You can't have too much faith in God. Now, you can be foolish and try to get ahead of God, 
Number two, another result of unbelief is that you'll be rebuked by the Lord. I mean, the Lord, as the Lord is talking, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ and what is known as a Christophany in theology is a pre-incarnate appearance prior to, Mar- prior to coming as a baby uh, and being born uh, of Mary. Uh, we find in the Old Testament, it'll say the angel of the Lord, and that there's an appearance of God on earth before man, that's Jesus Christ, and he's appearing before Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, saying, listen, in a year, you're, the next time I come, you're going to have a baby. And then it says, is, and then the question is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Can a 90-year-old woman have a baby? If God wants it, yes. Would a 90-year-old lady want a baby? Probably not now. Another thing, in Numbers chapter 11, a dis- Moses had a disbelief of God's ability. God says, I'm going to provide meat for you. And Moses is like, seriously, God. I mean, if we kill all of our livestock, we're not going to be able to feed them, but maybe for a month. And God reproves them. The Lord said unto Moses, is the, Lord hand, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. That was Numbers eleven twenty three. God says, listen, is my hand so short that it can't provide meat in the wilderness? Are you kidding me, Moses? What are some conclusions of unbelief? Number one, the enemies, <clears throat> this is a review, but the enemies of God are emboldened and the children of God are stalled. What happened in our passage of Scripture? Saul and the people, they're all hiding out. You find, as I read even this morning in the devotions for my daughter, uh, about David and Goliath. Here is an army of Israel with God on their side, and here's one man, a big man. But he's a scary man. He's the big boogeyman. And I can't move forward. Because he said some really mean things. And he's a big strong man and I can't get past him. As one. The enemies of God are emboldened to push against the truths of who God is. In 1 Samuel chapter 4. There's a statement that is made. It says, quit yourself like men and fight. Understanding that God smote the Egyptians, the enemies of God. This was Saul's lack of faith that cost him the throne. Hebrews 3.12, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you in heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He's, as I said again last week, he's a living God. From the very first humans, unbelief has only and always increased pain. And unbelief in God produces an increase in the challenges and struggles of life every time. As I said, in reality, you have no place of retreat apart from God. You can retreat to a a cave. You can retreat to a particular, wherever, uh, holidays or this or that. You can retreat to these places. But you cannot find the rest and the retreat. You cannot find the place of hiding and protection apart from running to God for relief and help. 
in 1 Samuel 14.1, as I pick up where I left off, he is the God of trials. 1 Samuel 14.1. He says, Samuel says, or Jonathan says, come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison. He says, there's a trial. We have an enemy before us and we can't defeat them. He's telling his armor bearer, God is God and I trust him, let's move. Let me read an illustration for you. It comes from Donald Barnhouse. He says, Faith is worthless in itself if faith is not properly founded. Like, what are you believing in, right? What is your faith in? It can lead to nothing other than disaster. One night, cars sped along the main highway between Jackson and Vicksburg, Mississippi. The drivers had faith in their cars and in the bridges over the streams. They passed over some bridges at 50 or 60 miles per hour. Everything was lovely. The concrete span stood firm over the rivers and the bayous, and the cars went on their way. Suddenly, the twin twilights, the twin taillights in the front, in front of a truck melted into the road and disappeared. The driver of the truck caught only a glimpse of the black gap in the concrete before he too plunged into the stream below. Breaking glass, he succeeded in freeing himself. He swam ashore, but before he could reach the highway, other cars zoomed smoothly up to the gap and vanished. Frantically, he tried to flag the others down, three others. Their drivers ignored the dripping scarecrow figure and sped on into the void. Each time there was a single booming splash, sometimes followed by a few hoarse shouts and screams. All the drivers had faith in a bridge that was out. There is only one bridge across the gulf of death. Christ has said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Understanding this, woe to anyone who attempts any other highway. His faith will not carry him to heaven. Faith must have a proper foundation, Christ, end quotes. And here in 1 Samuel 14, 1, Saul is crippled by fear, hemmed in by a small contingent of Philistines. Jonathan says, I'm tired of just sitting here. I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of not moving forward. Let's move forward in faith. He said, if God's for us, God, if they're for us, you're going to make it evident. And so he, Jonathan and his loyal armor bearer, they move forward. Jonathan said, I want God to get the glory. Full confidence in God's ability to bring victory. His only hesitation, Jonathan's only hesitation, was if God was for him. He said, you know, verse 6, as I said, it may be that the Lord will work for us. You need to understand in your everyday life, whatever you may be up against, whatever hardships and struggles you're at, number one, you need to make sure God is for you. Just because you're saved doesn't necessarily mean God is for you. And what I mean by that, he's for you as a child of his, but there may be sin in your life where you're exor- you, know, you haven't made things right, or there could be, you're, you know, you're just not living in faith, and, and God is saying, I want you to take the next step. God's for, I mean, God is for us. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to move forward. So Jonathan says, God, if this is the battle you want me to fight, some battles God wants us to fight, and other battles God says, I want you just to walk away from. 
Jonathan knew that if God is not in this trial, if God is not in the battle he's looking to go, victory is uncertain. The question I ask you this morning is, do you believe the Bible? Many would say yes. Then the question is, why do we live our lives for ourselves in our glory? Look at how great I am. Look at what I have done. Why do I base many times my self-worth? Sometimes, like even in social media, how many likes, reactions I have on a particular you know, post or whatever. Why do we often settle for complaining about our situations rather than conducting ourselves as Jonathan? Jonathan here in verse 6, he says, come, let us go over. I mean, he said it in verse 1. He says, armor bearer, let's go. Let's, I'm tired of just sitting here. You know, our, our, our life of faith, our spiritual walk with God, it's a moment, I mean, it's just movement forward. But it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. He says, if the Lord's for us, you got to settle that question first of all. And I ask you the question in your trials, when did God stop being God to help? When did God stop being powerful for all of our life? I'm talking all of our life. From the least to the greatest problems. When did he stop being God? You're saying, Pastor, that's silly. It is. But it's in those moments that my mind begins to go, I mean, it's just like, (laughs) kind of like you spin it up and and you're just, I've been there. Okay. Why does God is, you know, when did God become a God of yesterday? Yeah, he's worked in the past. He's a God of the Bible alone, but he doesn't really do much in my life. Why does God, as some people assert or some people mention, uh, only, I mean, God works in that person's life and that person's life, but, you know, he, he just, it's not really for me. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. F- faith. God says it. It's true. I don't understand it. I don't, know how the, I don't know how my life's going to play out. I don't know how your life's going to play out. I don't know what God's going to do in your life. I would have never imagined as a little boy that I'd be here in Thompson, Manitoba. I would have never imagined it. I wouldn't have even imagined it when I was there in the military that I would be here. I didn't want to be in the ministry. And God broke me. And broke me. And broke me some more. The path for a Christian is unknown. The obstacles, enemies, and trials we face are unknown. I don't know what they're, I don't know all the, all the tentacles of all that they're trying to do in my life. But I know that the future to God is perfectly known. So the question to ask yourself is where does my faith rest? Does it rest upon a bank account? Does it rest in a job? Does it rest in some person who's always going to be there for me? I had a pastor, for me personally, when I was in the military. As I was speaking to him, he told me, he said, Chris, your faith is small. I was kind of actually put off by the statement he had made. I was leaving the military. I was entering to go to train for the ministry full time. To say it the least, I was quite unimpressed with his statement and his assessment of my spiritual level. I was kind of unnerved. 
I don't have a little faith. Pastor, I'm leaving the ministry and I'm, I'm leaving the military. I'm going to train for the ministry. Wow, I'm, you know, I'm one of those you know, giants of the faith. <laughs> and then God showed me, no, I, I did have small faith. And rather than sometimes being focused, you know, on, like for me, rather than focusing on the agitation, I had to come to the grips with what he said was true at the time. And my intention as we go through this sermon, is, as I mentioned before, we've got to, to think beyond what is humanly possible for, you know, what God can do. God could do this, God could do this, God could do this. Why don't I stop trying to figure out what God can do and just live by faith and watch God do? The Bible was written as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 through 14 tells us, Now all these things happen to them for in samples. They are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man... But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. The Bible says, listen, the word of God, there are samples, there are examples for us. The Bible here gives us wonderful examples of those who follow God and those who didn't. Those who did, the God, you know, what God did, those who didn't, and what God did to them. Charles Spurgeon had a statement on faith. He says, if our faith be worth anything, it will stand the test. Guilt, G-I-L-T, is an object covered with, like, basically thinly covered gold paint. Guilt is afraid of fire, but gold is not. I mean, if, I, if you take a Bible, many times the Bibles have that, that gold edging on it, right? And you put that in a fire, how do you think that, uh, that Bible's going to stand? I don't think it's going to do very well. Those pages will burn up. But, if, but gold is not afraid of fire. The paste gem dreads to be touched by the diamond, the diamond. The true jewel fears no test. It is a poor faith which can only trust God when friends are true, the body full of health, and the business profitable. But that is true faith which holds by the Lord faithless, faithfulness when friends are gone, when the body is sick, when spirits are depressed, and the light of our Father's countenance is hidden. A faith which can say in direst trouble, though he slay me, yet will I trust him as a heaven-born faith. Jabez, in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, he would say, Enlarge my coast. I understand every life, mission, trip of our life has unknown stumbling blocks. Everything you do in life is going to have some potholes that may trip you up. It's going to have some struggles. Because this life journey is not about me. It's about using my everyday occurrences, my everyday happenstances to point people to the realization there is a God in heaven. Being a witness for Jesus is much more than just telling someone the gospel. It is living your life in such a way that others have no explanation but God. Being a witness Yes, you tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is also about your life being about, I don't know how he does that. I don't know how she does that. And you can say, I'll tell you a truth. It's God. When is, when is God's glory the brightest? When we are facing the impossible. When we have no human solution. 
We must stop limiting God by our unbelief. In Matthew 13, 58, as I mentioned before, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is Jesus. I'm not preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm talking about a life that just says, if God says it and God leads, I'll follow. Despite whatever may be in front of me. Jesus' remark to the skepticism and pain on a demonically possessed son's father. And this, Jesus said to this father, he's like, Gee, I, I don't know, but this, my boy keeps falling into the fire. And he's demonically, this idea, of, he, he, he foams, it foams at the mouth, and he's just possessed. And Jesus says to this man, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. That do us well. God help my unbelief. I'm not always saying we're going to get better physically if we're sick. I'm not saying we're going to be prevented from having hard times, hurtful times, painful times. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we can evidence a life that through those trials, someone say, I don't know how you handled it. How did you, how did you do it? Let me tell you about how I came to know God better. Let me tell you what God helped me through. You see, when God shines brightest, look with me at Psalm 115. When we give God the glory, He's watching. He's always watching. You know, the world is watching. The world watches, and they say, well, you go to church, you do your thing. I'm glad that works for you, but it doesn't really work for me. Our world knows a lot of vain, empty religion without answers. A lot of religion, uh, you practice, you go do your, whatever your particular things are, and uh, you walk away, but you don't have a settled peace in your heart. That you're at, you know, that you know God as your Savior. You don't have, I mean, it's just... Yeah, you might have that euphoric feeling for a short time, but you don't have the power of God on your life. You don't have God uh, assisting you. In Psalm 115, verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, uh, but unto thy name give glory. Psalm 115, 1. For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake, wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Ha! Yeah, right. If God is God, why are all the problems in your life? Never heard something like that. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. You know, as you go through it, and you go through these trials, you say, I don't know how you did it. Judges chapter 7, Gideon, I won't recount it for the sake of time this morning, but Gideon, God says, Gideon, you take 300 men with you, and you go up and defeat 120,000 men. God did it. With some trumpets and some clay pots, and they crashed them, and they blew those trumpets, and those, the 120,000 men went crazy. God did a defeat. Who got the glory from this situation in Gideon? God did. It's impossible. Possible. 300 men against 120,000? They didn't have advanced technology. Who was the, the one to whom the people turned? Their hearts. They turned it to God. God gave us this victory. 
I, I had spoken about last week. King Asa had a smaller army against, uh, you know, he went against a large army of over a million. Second Chronicles 14, 11, And Asa cried to the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on thee in thy name. Of we, in thy name we go against this multitude. He said, God, it's nothing for you. Who got the glory there? God did. Is Asa seen as a masterful commander? No. I mean, they said, well, he listened to God. He, you know. he was outnumbered more than two to one. Who got the glory? God did. What do these stories convey to us? God alone is the true determination to the battles we face in life. Stop facing life's battles in my own way and my own strength. You know, it is impossible, it's impossible to enter heaven without God, without Jesus Christ. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Because they ask in verse 25 of Matthew 19, When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? He's talking about it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. A rich man trusts in his riches. It's the humble man that says, I don't have anything. I don't have anything for eternity. I can't give anything to the church, but I can put my faith in Jesus Christ. It's impossible. You can't be good enough to get yourself to heaven. In Romans chapter 8, look with me here in Romans chapter 8. This is at a period of time, a letter, it's obviously, it is God's word, it's here in the Bible, but here is an encouragement to Romans, that the, the Roman people and the Roman army and the Roman government is persecuting Christians. And the Apostle Paul has written an epistle to the church of Rome encouraging them that this persecution might be impossible with you, but understand one thing about God. Look with me at here, verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. What? In persecution? You mean the hard times? All things work together for good. Okay, preacher. Yeah, that works all good when life's going okay, but when you're about ready to have your head lopped off, I don't think all things work together for good. It's to them who are the called, the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to, to be conformed to the image of his Son. God wants all of us to be like Jesus, right? That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. No person can bring a judgment against me before God. They can't. Because God already sees it. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. If you're a child of God, any indictment that might be brought against you, Jesus said, I paid it all. It's in, you're all innocent. You're forgiven. It's done. Your record is clear. He intercedes for us. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Who's going to separate you from God working on your behalf? Shall tribulation, oh no, i got a really hard time. Or distress, or even worse, persecution, they're going to cut my head off. Or famine, I'm hungry. For nakedness or peril of sword, as is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, nay, in all these things. God, I just feel like I make a step forward and it's like, man, I'm just beat down by the enemy. Man, I take another step and another step and another step and man, I'm just going through the gauntlet of beatings. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're one of those things in there, you can't remove yourself from God if you're his child. You're a conqueror through him, through Jesus that loves me. And I can say, no restraint for the Lord. No retreat from me. Who is God? The angel would say with, to Mary, she's like, uh, uh, Lord, um, me, a baby? Um, there's kind of a problem here. Um, I've, I've never known a man. We've never had what is necessary for a baby. Uh, there's kind of a problem here, God. And the angel tells her, For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Again, God gets the glory. Abraham put his only son, Isaac, on the altar, Hebrews 11, 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. He says, you know what, even if I have to sacrifice my son, God's going to raise him back up. I want you to see, I mean, when we look at Jonathan's faith here in this passage of Scripture, I am hastening on here. 1 Samuel 14, 6, Jonathan's faith is, as long as God's for this action, as long as God is on my side, I'll push forward. Do you realize that his one act of faith and bravery would compel the Israelite army to press forward and have a mighty day of victory? Two simple men. Sometimes it's all that's necessary is for someone to say, hey, is there someone that actually believes God? Is there someone that just says, God says it, I'm going to follow it, I'm just going to live by faith, I don't understand it? And then you're kind of like, you're a fool, you're an idiot, the world might say. God is looking for men and women who fear nothing less than displeasing God. Period, dot, exclamation mark. Prayer to God, Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out their arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Romans chapter 4, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, 
when he was 100 years old, talking about Abraham, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, give glory to God. Abraham says, I'm going to have a baby. Hallelujah, I'm going to have a baby. I'm 100 years old. God made a promise. I'm going to have a baby. It doesn't matter if I'm 150 years old. God made the promise. We're having the baby. Period. I mean, that's it. Story's done. Being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Abraham just said, God told me I'm going to have a child. I'm going to have a child. I'm 100 years old. I don't know when. And then that year, Sarah had a baby. God, George Mueller said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. We ought, instead of wanting no trials before victory, no exercise for patience, to be willing to take them, the trials, from God's hand as a means. I say and say it deliberately. Trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and care for us in developing more and more that faith which he is seeking to strengthen in us. End quotes. And then look with me at 1 Samuel 14, 20 through 23. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. And there was a very great discomfiture, moreover the Hebrews that were with the Philistines, before that time which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over into Beth Haven. And the men of Israel were distressed that day. And it goes on, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies, so none of the people tasted any food. And Saul tried to hurt his people by not giving him food. But nevertheless, verse 23, the Lord saved Israel that day. Your faith, you don't know how your faith actually affects other people. That faith of Jonathan, and really Jonathan, it encouraged an entire army. Your faith, you said, but I'm just one person. One person! brought a victory for Israel to an army that was sitting there, idly by, hiding out, living in perpetual daily fear and worry. It took the faith of one to say that God is in control. There are great blessings in heaven waiting for us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7 Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. It goes on in verse 11. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall to the same example of unbelief. We are to endeavor to enter the rest of heaven. One man's faith changes the course of a battle. Maybe someone else has a battle in their life and they're waiting for you to step up in faith, be faithful to God, let God get the glory, and you could encourage them to get in the fight for God. We have a high priest who precedes us. We have a leader who entered the rest of heaven forever. The need of the hour. 
we must make, wait to move on the Lord's order. But we must be ready to move in an instant. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34. I will come to the conclusion here shortly. Proverbs 8, 34. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34, it reads, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul, although they hate me love death. God's desire, be ready in an instant to move. Isaiah 43, 10, and then I come to the conclusion. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Understand God is the creator. Before God, there is none. After God, there is none. He is eternal. In conclusion, Charles Spurgeon, in the devotional streams in the desert, told of an evening when he was riding home after a heavy day's work. He felt weary and depressed. When as suddenly as a lightning flash, he thought of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says, my grace, a portion of that verse says, my grace is sufficient for thee. He said, I should think it is, Lord, and burst out laughing. He said that it seemed to make unbelief so absurd. It was as though some little fish, being very thirsty, was troubled about drinking the river dry. And the river said, drink away, little fish, my stream is sufficient for thee. Or it seemed, after the seven years of plenty, a mouse feared that it would die of famine. And Joseph might say, Cheer up, little mouse, my granaries are sufficient for thee. Or a man away up on a mountain saying to himself, I fear I shall exhaust all the oxygen in the atmosphere. But the earth might say, Breathe away, O man, and fill thy lungs forever. My atmosphere is sufficient for thee. Little faith will bring our souls to heaven. But great faith will bring heaven to us. End quotes. Settle in your heart who God is, to whom you're going to trust. Settle in your heart. Whatever happens in my life, I'm going to give God the glory. Will you live in the truth there is no restraint to God? Will you live in the practical steps of no retreat for God's glory? Will you live your life in the omnipotent, all-powerful, guiding hand of God? Or will you live back in the trenches with the rest of the crowd living in fear? God is looking for men and women who fear nothing less but failure in his will. Let us press on for God's glory and watch him do the impossible. Final quote, and I am done. I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or else reject it. There is no logical standing place between the two. Be satisfied with nothing less than a faith that swims in the deeps of divine revelation a faith that paddles about the edge of the water is poor faith at best. It is little better than a dry land faith and is not good for much. End quotes. Charles Spurgeon. As I no restraint, Jonathan, he lived by faith. And God got the glory. I need to stop trying to figure out life my own way. Figure out what God wants. If the Lord be for us, right? If the Lord worked for us, as Jonathan said, there is no restraint to the Lord. What is God trying to do in your life? What is God asking you to do as the next step? What does God want you to do right now? 
The first thing that God wants you to do if you do not know Jesus Christ is to call out to him, ask Jesus to forgive you your sins and be your Savior. If you're a Christian and we're living in those trenches, he says, get out of those trenches. Let's move forward. I want to get the glory, but I can't get the glory with a whole bunch of people hiding out in the, in the cliffs and the caves. I can't do anything. I didn't do mighty, many mighty works because of unbelief. Who's the Christian that says, I'm going to step forward. I'm going to live in faith. I'm going to let God get the glory, and I'll let God be the determination of what happens. That's what God's looking for. If I could have Miss Pat come forward for the time of invitation. This morning, in this sermon, I want to challenge you. How many of you want to stay in the trenches? How many of you just want to stay back with Saul and the rest of the crowd? Or who here wants to say, I'm just going to step forward in faith? I don't know what it is. I don't know what God wants me to do it. But this morning, I want to step by faith forward and do what God wants me to do. God leads, I will follow. If that's the determination in your heart, I trust that you talk with God. Make that determination. It sounds good here. It's when you leave those doors are you going to put it into practice. As the music plays this morning, if you'd like to talk with God, I encourage you to just pray and talk with the Lord. If you need to come up front and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you need to kneel in your pew and pray, and it's, now's the time to just pray and talk with God. And the first question, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You will not see heaven if you do not know Jesus Christ. I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know him. He's a mighty God. He's a wonderful God. Jesus came to reconcile us to himself. We would know the almighty, powerful, faithful Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that you give us the continual reminder to never steal your glory. Lord, to never try to refocus it upon ourselves, but only upon thee. And Father, I also pray that we would be like Jonathan. Lord, grow our faith. That our faith affects others. Our faith affects those who are in the trenches and those who struggle to see God work, but may they see you work. May they get in the fight. Lord Jesus, I love you. It's a great day to be your child. Help us as we go out to be your ambassadors. 
to a world that does not know the glory and the power of our great God. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for all that you'll do in Jesus.